welcome to On The Ledge podcast. Serious question now, do your succulents suck? Fear not, we have the perfect interview for you today. I'm your host, Jane Perone. This is On The Ledge podcast, the houseplant podcast for all your houseplant needs. In this week's show, I chat to Andrea Galbreath of Just Suck It to talk all things succulent, including what I'm calling hot glue gate. Find out more in my chat with Andrea. A heads up about an upcoming episode that I want some of you to get involved in. Next month is LGBT plus history month here in the UK. That's the month of February. And I want to celebrate that community on on the ledge because houseplants are part of that community, part of the interests of many people in that community. So I really want to celebrate the LGBTQIA plus community on this show because I know that that includes quite a few of you and I'd like you to take part if you consider yourself part of that community. How do you take part? Well, it's quite simple. I just want to hear from you in the form, ideally of a voice memo, roughly about 30 seconds to two minutes long, where you take up the theme, what houseplants mean to me. You can interpret that in whatever way you like. If you are unable to contribute with a voice memo, then you can write down your thoughts and send them to me and either Kelly, my assistant, or I will voice them for you. You can either introduce yourself in whatever way you choose to do so, or you can keep it anonymous. But I want to hear from as wide a range of people in every sense for this episode. So please, please consider putting together a voice memo or a little note for me, because I know, I know, I know you lot. I know you've got something interesting to say about this and I want to hear what it is. Uh, So it's time for me (laughs) to shut up and you to talk. And thank you to all of you who got in touch about last week's Pot Hacks episode. Clearly, many of you are very on the ball with these wonderful fixes. And Bass got in touch to tell me about the people at his parents' church who crochet covers for 500 gram yogurt pots, which are then used for potting up spider plants. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'll put a picture of these in the show notes. They're rather lovely actually (laughs) there i wish i could crochet this is the summary of this uh, comment i wish i could crochet because you can make some amazing things with crochet so that's one brilliant solution a crocheted pot something to fill the long winter evenings with and i also had a lovely audio message from alice who is planning to get some upholstery trim the kind of thing you pick up in a haberdasher's and use that to adorn small plastic nursery pots and make them look better temporarily while that plant is still in the small pot. Again, great idea. I know I've got a whole box full of ribbon and all that kind of stuff that could certainly be pressed into service. Uh, Thanks to everyone who got in touch about the episode and shared their cool solutions to the pot problem that we all face and keep them coming. Love to hear some more suggestions. 
Leslie, Christine and Dorothy all became legends this week and they will have the privilege of listening to an extra chunk of chat with my guest today, Andrea Galbreath, where we get into the nuts and bolts of running a succulent business, including Andrea's incredible battle with a major global corporation fascinating stuff. So that's one of the bonuses of becoming a patron at the legend or superfan level. You get access to extra stuff plus ad-free episodes of the main show. And of course, the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting a planty podcast. Andrew Galbraith's social media presence, you cannot fail to be uplifted by her wonderful sense of humour, top tips and just general brilliance. Andrea is based in Southern California and her business Just Suck It brings succulents to places where no succulents have been before, which is the kind of thing I love. Let's bring succulents into everybody's life because we all need them, whether we know it or not. Andrea, thanks for joining me talking about one of my favourite topics, succulents. Oh, you live in Southern California, so succulent central, I imagine. Is that why you decided to make succulents the focus of your of your planty business? Well, it was an accident that I became obsessed with succulents. Like you said, I'm in Southern California and we are always in a drought. So I decided I was going to transform my front yard into a drought-tolerant oasis. And that's when I started learning about succulents. And initially, it was primarily the landscaping succulents like agaves and aloes. But when I went to a specific nursery not too far from my home, that's when I discovered echeverias and graftivarias and sedums and different cacti and I just became obsessed. And succulents are actually the only plant up until then that I could keep alive. So that was the bonus. I don't blame you. I think succulents are amazing for lots of reasons I'm sure we're going to go into in this interview. But I think a lot of people have this misconception from the start that, you know, they either don't need any water at all or you just give them a little tiny dribble, a little pipette full of water and that'll do. But that's not how to water a succulent, as you and I know. What's your watering regime and, and how do you make sure they've had a really good drink? There is this myth that succulents don't need water because people know that they're or they think that they're all desert plants and there's never any rain in the desert. So they think they can just get their succulent and then not give it water. But firstly, there are over 10,000 different kinds of succulents and they grow in many different climates. And yes, succulents do store water somewhere in their tissue, but they need water to thrive. So the best way to water any succulent is to give it lots of water all at once and then let the soil dry out completely. That's it. Um, And there are some succulents that can go longer than others, but the rule of thumb is to give it lots of water, check the soil, and if it's still a little bit moist, wait a little bit longer. And if it's bone dry, soak it. The thing that goes really wrong also with succulents in the winter is that moment where you, somebody proudly shows you their succulent and it's clearly what I would call, I'm going to turn it into a verb, fireworks <laughs> to some amazing shape that really sh- it shouldn't be in. 
because of not enough light. I mean, this is a such a common problem. I'm sure even in Southern California, you get this issue. How do you recommend people proceed if they do get a succulent that's gone a bit explodey? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So what you're describing is a succulent that has not received enough light. So when a succulent is not getting enough light, it starts to stretch. And a lot of times people who are not familiar with succulents will think their succulent is growing, which is mind boggling to me, especially for a plant like an Echeveria or any of those cute little rosette plants. They, it's like people forget what their plant looked like when they got it. There's actually nothing that can be done to fix a stretched out succulent. So there are two options. One is to just throw the whole plant away and get a, a new one and either get grow lights to help it if you're keeping it indoors or put it someplace else where it gets more light. Or you can take the plant that's stretched out and try to propagate it because propagating is fun. So a plant like an Echeveria, you can take the leaves off and see if the new plant will grow from the leaf or the stem can be cut um, in a lot of different places and then placed on some soil and roots will grow and new buds will grow from the stem. So it is possible to get many new plants from one stretched out succulent. Yeah, I mean, it's just an excuse, I guess, to make some more. And, and they are so generous with the way they reproduce that you can have loads of fun with that too. One of the other things I love looking at your social media is your styling of succulents. I am extremely boring. You know, my idea of excitement is having a pot that's a slightly different shade of terracotta <laughs> from the other pots. <laughs> so I'm taking inspiration from you here. I particularly liked your sneaker, or as we say here in the UK, trainer that you spray painted gold and filled with succulents. So I kind of am interested in how you come up with these ideas and if you've got any other sort of gems to share on that front. Well, my toxic trait is that I think I can use anything as a planter. I just see something really cool and I think, okay, I can, I can plant succulents in that, but mostly that's because succulents can thrive anywhere if they have soil, light, and water. So I'll just see something that I think is really cool, and I will make an arrangement out of it. The cleat that you're talking about um, was an old cleat, and I thought this would be a really good way to take a memento from a child's life and, to, and turn it into something with meaning. So I took that cleat. I had some random gold metallic spray paint and I decided to spray the shoe to see how it turned out. It looked beautiful. And then I just put succulents in it. And I think it'd be a great way for parents or aunts or even kids who want to give a gift to their, to their parents. They can plant their shoes. And then it's also upcycling when you think about it. So we're keeping things out of the landfill when we use them as planters. Yeah. And I mean, probably good drainage too. <laughs> If it's a wholly old pair of trainers, I'm sure I've, I've got a few pairs like that that I could press into services uh, as plant containers. Definitely. The other thing that uh, you, you seem do seem to do very beautifully are these kind of succulent arrangements where you're turning succulents into different shapes, making them into a wreath or other shapes. But I think this has caused a bit of controversy on your social media. Can we talk about hot glue gate? please, Andrea. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I. It's amazing to me that people will see cut flowers that will die in 10 to 14 days and they don't think anything of it. But then when they see me cutting the roots off of a succulent and then gluing it to a moth topiary, they get up in arms. Now, the beauty of succulents is that you can cut the 
roots off of them and they will grow back. And I like to create art out of them. And succulents will live for months and even years on moss. One of my most popular designs is a succulent Christmas tree. And I use cobwebs sempervivums. There's, you know, green plants and looks like they have cobwebs on them. And to me, it reminds me of snow. Uh, so I glue them to a moss topiary and they can be on that tree for a year or two with the right lighting and with some water. And then the thing about using moss is that the succulent can be removed from the moss and then planted the same way that you would plant any other succulent because the roots grow back. So it's a really fun way too to increase your succulent collection is to buy a wreath or some kind of design where succulents are glued to moss. And then you can enjoy the beauty of succulent art, living art. And then when you're tired of looking at it, take it off and plant it. Yeah, that is very true. They really are, unlike a, a bouquet of flowers, they're something that you can then keep alive and enjoy in lots of different ways. It's, that's really cool. And I think one of the other things I saw on your website was wedding type uh, offerings. I imagine that's a popular one because people spend a lot of money on wedding flowers. But again, you're getting something that lives on, which is great. And unlike cut flowers, you don't have to worry about them wilting the day of, which I've seen happen at, at weddings. I've used um, succulents and boutonnieres. I made some for two grooms that got married and they had a superhero theme. So I glued little um, Lego, bat, like a Lego Batman and a Lego Superman to their boutonnieres. And two years later, they're still sending me photos of their succulents that are alive and have tripled in size. And because it's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, that's really sweet that they can keep have that memory living on. That's really great. I'm trying to um, bring back the buttonhole because uh, I discovered in the writing of my book, I discovered that... Uh, Hoyers, which are kind of a kind of a member of the succulents, were actually quite popular in Victorian times. The flowers were quite popular in buttonholes. So I'm trying to revive the idea of Hoyer flowers in buttonholes. And I have actually bought myself a silver buttonhole brooch thing so I can when my Hoyer's next flower, I'm waiting to <laughs> be able to uh, enjoy that. So <laughs> the buttonhole. To, we, well, I'm going to need yeah, a picture. We need, we need more buttonholes. I think it's a great, it's a great thing. They're not just for weddings, right? You could, you could spruce up any kind of outfit with a beautiful succulent uh, boutonniere. That would be lovely. Yes. I've not made one myself, but I've seen headbands with succulents and necklaces. Actually, I was going to be on a game show that required a costume and I was going to make a succulent headpiece and I was going to glue succulents on burlap and make it like a like one of those pageant sashes and have succulents all down. There's so much that you can do to, to wear succulents, um, but maybe next time, my next opportunity to be on a game show. We'll be back for more chat with Andrea shortly. But now it's time for question of the week. And as sometimes happens, a question came in and it was outside my realm of expertise. So I called on fern expert Peter Blake to help. Peter is the treasurer of the British Teratological Society, the Big Fern Society here in the UK. He's also the leader of the East Anglia group within that society and a tropical fern grower and expert. 
and a grower of stag's horn fern. So he was perfectly positioned to answer this question. And if you are interested in indoor ferns, do check the show notes where I'll put a link in to get signed up for the indoor tropical ferns newsletter of the BPS, which is well worth subscribing to. Anyway, let's start my chat with Peter and find out the question and his answer. Well, thanks so much for joining me. And I do get a fair few Stags Horn Fern questions on the show. And this one intrigued me because it really made me think about how these plants grow. The question comes from Sally. And Sally found that a Stags Horn Fern that she had mounted on a piece of wood fell off. And then she came to remount it and had a sudden thought, gosh, which way up does it go? Because it had grown fronds and obviously went off the mount. It had kind of changed shape. So she wasn't quite sure how to deal with this. And I guess the question is, is there an upside and a downside to the alignment of a stag's horn fern? Obviously, bearing in mind that this is something that's not growing on the ground, but on um, on a tree or similar. Yes, I think that's the most important thing to remember, because nowadays they've become quite commonly sold in garden centres and almost always as potted plants. And they do not really like growing as potted plants. So Sally was absolutely right to have it mounted. Uh, My my own preferred method of growing them is actually in in wire baskets. And then to some degree, they can sort themselves out. But um, as Sally pointed out there, they grow these large circular shield fronds at the back, which don't have an obvious top and bottom to them. And the dangly fronds that come out that look like the stag's horns are actually the fertile fronds that can bear spores. Although they don't look like they creep, these ferns actually have what's called a creeping rhizome. So there is a top and a bottom to them. And the rhizome usually grows upwards, in other words, towards the sky. They're generally fixed on trees. And so they're used to a lot of light and drying winds. And the purpose of the shield fronds and the purpose also of the grey sort of felt-like material on the fronds to protect them from sun and from drying out. So they do have a top and a bottom. If you look very carefully where the, the um, fertile fronds come out of the shield fronds, you can sometimes see the next emerging frond. Just a little grey blob, perhaps only three or four millimetres across. And that is effectively the top of the plant. That is the bit that should be most skyward when you come to remount it or mount it on a basket or something like that. Um, so, yes, they do have a top and a bottom. I've never tried planting one upside down uh, myself, so I don't actually know what happens, but I suspect they will adapt because I have a couple um, that have been growing for 15 years in baskets who have sort of gone completely round the basket and underneath it, and yet they still continue to produce fronds very happily. So I think they're very adaptable and in nature they will grow under a branch on a tree just as much as they will grow on top of it or on the trunk of the tree. Yeah, I suppose in nature, there's the possibility that, you know, a branch might shift or, you know, they might end up going from being the right way up in inverted commas to upside down just through the nature of their existence. So they probably, as you say, have to be quite adaptable. It's interesting about the creeping rhizome. We're used to seeing relatively small specimens grown as houseplants, but I'm guessing in the wild that these... Platysariums can get absolutely enormous. Oh, yes. 
Yes, I mean, mine, which are, as I say about, I generally got them around the end of the noughties, so uh, they'll mainly be sort of 12, 15 years old. I would say the smallest is about a metre across, and the largest is probably uh, a metre and a half across. That is because as they have grown, they've multiplied, and there's not just one growing point, but several. And so you end up with perhaps three or four plants on your board or three or four plants growing on the sides of the baskets you're using to hang them in, and then they make a, a big spread. So they're not something to be approached without thought as to where you're going to to put it. And also, um, they can get very heavy. So you need to have a good think of where your board can be securely hung up or your basket uh, securely hung. Because when they're watered, uh, these things can become really quite weighty plants. Is that why you prefer to have yours in wire baskets? Because it's easier to secure them safely without worrying about getting knocked on the head by one? It is. Also, they drain better. I mean, what platycerium's like is moisture, but complete free drainage. And if preferably, they like to sort of pretty well dry out between waterings. So um, something that's in a basket is more likely to do that. And if you use a compost that's composed of some, uh, you know, a handful of ordinary compost with a handful of chipped bark and some chopped up sphagnum moss, that will be the right sort of compost for them because that will hold moisture but not actually be sodden and uh, it will drain through quite well. In the winter, you don't need to water them so much, perhaps only every um, three or four weeks. Uh, in the summer, I generally water them once a week. And also, what they, the point Sally made about hers dropping off is quite common. That is a way that um, stag's horn move themselves around, as it were. Um, they have what, what are called cups, which detach from the main plant, and then you find them on the floor the next day. Rather alarmingly, you might find them and look inside the cup shield ferns and, that, and not see any roots. And yet the plant continues to exist. And um, recently I have found one of these, potted it up on the outside of a perforated pot that you use for plants in a pond, those um, sort of black plastic jobs. And that has now taken, grown into the compost on the inside of the pot um, by going through the holes, of the perforations in the, in the pot itself. So um, it is a, a method of them spreading themselves around. Well, I'm really glad that you've cleared up this problem for Sally. Is there anything else about platycerums that you want to tell tell us about before I let you go? If you do grow them, keep your eye open for scale insect. It's about the only disease that is, is really bad for them. And it is a natural host of one of the scale insects called Pinapsis aspidistri, which looks like little grains of, of sugar on the fronds of the fern, that they're white. And uh, its common name in Australia, where it comes from, is the coconut scale, because it looks like desiccated coconut. That scale insect can cause a lot of damage. And if you do get it, then you need to water your plant or indeed soak the whole plant briefly in uh, vine weevil killer, imidacloprid. That's fascinating to know. And that's something maybe that you're not probably looking for scale that look like that, that look like pieces of coconut. You're looking for the sort of traditional brown scale that you get on other houseplants. Quite easy to miss, I can imagine, until you've got a bad infestation. That's right. And in fact, the white scales of the males and the females are brown and pretty invisible. But it's the males that you see. 
Yeah, that's a good warning for anyone with a platycerium that uh, needs some extra attention. And uh, But at least we know which way round yes. to hang in now. That's brilliant. <laughs> thank you so much, Peter, for joining okay, me. Okay, thank you. And if you've got a question for On The Ledge podcast, you probably know what to do, but I'll tell you anyway. Drop an email to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com with all the salient info, and I'll do my best to get an answer, give an answer, and solve all your problems. Well, maybe not all of them. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Now it's time to head back to my interview with Andrea Galbraith talking about the wonderful, wonderful world of succulents. I have often wanted to dress as a string of pearls for Halloween. That's my like, that's the ultimate horror Halloween costume as far as I'm concerned, because quite frankly, the number of those plants that I see being tortured by people that's a true horror for me. So I want to dress as string of pearls. <laughs> and string of pearls are so beautiful, but they are not a good plant for people who don't have a lot of experience with succulents. They're just going to get their heart broken. You, people usually lose around three or four string string of pearls before they figure out how to keep them alive. So true. It's it's heartbreaking to watch because you look at it and you go. Uh, you know, you you just, it, it isn't going anywhere. It's just going to die. And they have some idea that it's because light's falling on the wrong part of the plant. And you're just like, no, it's because it's in a, it's got no drainage. It's in a plastic pot and it's in the wrong substrate. And oh, it's torture. It's real torture. But what would you recommend for people who are, maybe they've killed a lot of strings of pearls and they need something else that's a bit more straightforward. What would you recommend? For first time succulent parents, I always recommend snake plants, Fawarthias, Gasterellos or Gasterias because they can handle a healthy amount of neglect. They can handle lower light conditions and they're really good at building confidence for people who've never taken care of a succulent or if they have a history of killing plants. And then once they get a handle on that, then there are succulents uh, like echeverias that are easier to care for than others, especially if you can keep them outside like the echeveria lola, that one can handle um, a lot. And then my other favorite one for people to start with is called an agavoyes lipstick. And um, it can it can handle lower light. It still needs a lot of light and it may not have the color that it would get if it was in a lot of light, but it doesn't stretch the same way. So those are the two active areas that I recommend starting with. Yeah, they're really beautiful ones. And, uh, I, I I say that I've just lost my lipstick in the, in the cold snap, so I'm a little bit bitter about that. But oh, you did? Yeah, it's okay. Ooh. I mean, they're pretty easy to get hold of. You know, I can start again, but uh, it's it's just one of those plants that I should have really brought inside and didn't bring inside, and severely regretting it being out in my greenhouse. But there we go. We we live and learn, and uh, we you know even even though I keep string of pearls alive, we all make mistakes. <laughs> We do. So that was a particularly bad one, but we've had a real, really cold winter this winter here, so it hasn't been pleasant. But I'm guessing in Southern California, you have some pretty amazing outdoor succulent gardens to enjoy. We do. We have 
beautiful succulent gardens. We also have award-winning growers here who create hybrids. So if you're really lucky that I can just go down the road and see so many cool looking plants. And then because they grow in abundance here, you can get on, we have a, um, a newspaper called Craigslist and it's basically this place where people put ads for, for free and people are always giving away succulent cuttings. So I can find some really cool euphorbias or fun cacti that have just grown out of control and people cut them and say, come pick them up for free. Oh my gosh. I want to live in Southern California. That sounds amazing. That's yeah. just so up my street. Although I would just be, I would just be, yeah. I'd have so many succulents. I'd be literally like weighed down and overcome and covered in plants. I think if I lived there, it just sounds amazing. But um, are there any particulars that are your absolute favorites? Well, I can't choose just one, but my top three are the Echeveria Lola. And here it's, it's a pretty common uh, succulent, but there's just something about the leaves and the color that whenever I see one at a nursery, I, I buy it even when I don't need it. I'll either keep it for a little bit and then give it away, but they're just, they're absolutely beautiful. And then there is an Aeonium Noble, and it might be FOMO, but they're not very common. So I just try to collect them, and I actually have a goal of having one of the biggest Aeonium Noble collections in the area. I go to nurseries all the time, but I've actually only ever seen them at uh, a nursery three times. So I always snatch those up. They're just big and beautiful and just incredible plants. And then the other one is another Aeonium called an Aeonium Sunburst, but I love it because it's just a happy-looking plant. It's yellow and green with a little bit of pink, and it gets big. And there's, um, you know, succulents can come in a lot of different colors, but landscaping succulents are usually, like, the greens and the blue-greens. Of course, there's some calanchoes with color. But an aeonium in an aeonium garden just adds so much fun color, and it just looking at it just makes me happy. Oh yeah, they are really cool plants, and those um, those those noble ones. I just think they look. They kind of. I'm not, obviously not suggesting for a moment that anyone eats one, but they look kind of scrummy. I just want to go. Mm, yeah, so nice. I just love them. They are. And the other one that makes me react in the same way to that, and maybe is one of my favourite succulents, is the Pachyphytums, the kind of moon glow, pebbly type, silvery pinkish. Um, succulents I think though they are gorgeous too although mine you know I like them when they're small when they get mature and you lose uh, well I suppose they're characterful once they've got stems on them but I like them when they're little babies that's when I think they're really particularly cute and adorable but um, yeah those ones I did bring inside so I've still got those I'm glad to say and I do love gasterias as well I have to say good tip for as you say for beginners um, I have a really nice gasteria, which is very slow growing, but really nice, called Mount Fuji, which is a variegated one. I really like that plant, actually, but it it doesn't seem to grow. I don't know if it's just my care, but it, it's just like it puts out, you know, half a leaf every year and just sits there looking majestic. But um, that's another one of my my real favorites. I guess it's probably because it's variegated. It's a bit slower, um, but that's a really good one. I also wanted to bring up something that else that I saw on your Instagram that involved the, well, I guess I might call it the mega succulent, the agave. You know, there's 
some pretty large agaves in Southern California, I bet. But one of the things that I saw was this technique of pineappling. Can you explain to listeners like me who have no idea what that means? What 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 do you do when you pineapple an agave? Well, uh, here in California, of course, succulents are really popular and agaves are low maintenance plants. So people like to use them in their in their yard. Unfortunately, they don't always know what kind of agave they're getting or they'll buy one when it's small, not realizing that it grows to 10 feet wide sometimes, like a century plant. And they'll plant it way too close to a sidewalk or where there's a lot of people traffic. And so to mitigate the possibility of somebody being impaled by one of those very dangerous spikes at the end, they will chop off the leaves. And over time, the base starts to look like a pineapple. So it's called pineapple. Sometimes people will do it intentionally because when it's cut right and they're not just chopping off all the leaves, it it actually does look kind of cool. But most of the time people do it because they didn't plan properly and they just put it way too close to where people there walk. There must be a, so just a number of uh, admissions to hospital every year from people falling onto agaves in California. I just, it's, they are so lethal. Here in the UK, in the milder areas where some of these plants can grow outside, I'm thinking of specifically um, visiting the Isle of Wight, which is off the South Coast. Um, they had a load of these agaves in like this children's, it was like a children's theme park. And I was thinking, wow, that's brave. But what they'd done was all of them had corks on those spikes, which is great. But I'm thinking they must have to be a bit care, a bit quick with the corks for the next, you know, the next set of leaves, especially kids who are perhaps at eye level with the spike, especially. But that was their solution. They just stuck a cork on it. They are really painful. And I would, when I do help people plan uh, succulents for their yard and if they tell me they have kids oh I don't suggest agaves especially if the kids are going to be in the areas because they trip they fall or they they think it's it looks really cool and they go to touch it and next thing you know they're screaming crying because they've been in pain oh my gosh when I was researching my book I found a whole series of um papers on removing apuntia spines from the bunny ears cactus there was a whole like set of papers about you know, statistics on how many people would come in with this injury and what methods they used. I'm sure it's the same for agave spiking incidents as well. Yeah, but actually Apuntia is more common people because they, some of them look like they don't have spines, but they do. The little hair like um, glockets, I think that's how you pronounce it. And um, so I actually use tape. We'll use tape and put it on and then rip it off and it takes them takes them out a lot of people do that yeah here. tape is very good i don't know what you call do you call them band-aids plasters is the other thing that yeah. one of the old school ones not these plastic ones the old school plasters that were like really strong but duct tape works really well as well that i think that's a, that's another good solution but um yeah there's just nothing worse than that but i always find throughout the year most of the year i will have at least one or two spines in my fingers that are gradually working their way out when you work with succulents it's just it's just a nature of the job i'm impressed that it only happens to you one or two times a year i think for me it happens one or two times a week yeah exactly i think what i mean is there's at any one time i have one or two spikes you know throughout it's a constant presence. They're gradually working their way out and then I'll have another one by the time it um it comes out. But we deal with that because 
these are such cool plants. There's so much else going for them. And of course, there are lots of totally non-spiny ones to enjoy, which is which is exciting. And some that look kind of spiny, but aren't like a lot of the Sempervivums, I think, don't really cause you any damage at all. And some that look spiny that are actually quite tactile. Like I do like to have a stroke of my rat tail cactus, which is really soft and nice to touch so um they can be quite tactile but you have to be a bit careful with that flowery surface that some of the gray succulents have right yes the farina because it acts as a protectant to, for them and then once you touch it it takes years for it to come back yeah absolutely that is uh, and that's kind of annoying if you've got an absolutely perfect plant that's got a big thumbprint in it which <laughs> i've done that one before i know Well, it's been a delight to meet you, Andrea, and to hear all about your succulent adventures. And um, I hope the glue gun controversy dies down and people just let you get on with making your fantastic displays. But thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thank you so much to Andrea. And do remember, if you're a legend or super fan, you can go and listen to our planty business chat over on Patreon now. That is all for this week's show. I will turn up next Friday like the proverbial bad penny to bring you more houseplanty joy. In the meantime, have a fantastic week. See you. Bye. 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 See you. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. See you. Yeah, bye. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Kids by Komiku, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details. <laughs>